Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Our topic of conversation today is intimate partner violence in one of the lesser known forms of that, which is coercive control. Joining me today in the studio is Melissa Garrier and Sean Montgomery of Project Brave at Georgia College. Melissa, Sean, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Hey, Daniel. Thank you. Yep. It's nice to join you here on this radio station today. And it's my pleasure to um, have y'all here and to host you for this uh, very important conversation. And I'm very happy that y'all are actually uh, bringing this, what could be a hard conversation for folks, uh, to the Times Talk. I think it's uh, very important. And as we'll get into during the course of our conversation, maybe one that um, strikes a very personal note to a lot of people out there. And so I wanted to just start off um, just by asking, just point like. Can you tell our audience about intimate partner violence, intimate partner violence, and some of its different forms? Sure. So intimate partner violence can show up in a whole lot of different ways. This article kind of focuses on this idea of coercive control, which is the psychological form of intimate partner violence. You might also hear intimate partner violence referred to as dating violence or domestic violence, but it can show up, of course. As this psychological violence, it can be physical abuse, which I think is what most people think of. So punching, hitting, those sorts of things. Emotional abuse, the psychological abuse, economic abuse, the withholding of funds or controlling how somebody is able to spend money within a relationship. Sexual abuse, so either the forcing of sex or withholding of sex as a, that control mechanism. There are just some other kinds of like health related. So, you know, putting your your partner has to eat a very restrictive diet or they have to exercise a certain amount of time a day or things like that. So it can kind of show up in a whole lot of ways. And I think what struck me when I was reading the article of which I'll put forth, which is it's called um, With Coercive Control, the Abuse is Psychological. And it's a New York Times article by Abby Ellen is I was a little bit concerned about learning about this because in our society and especially in our more patriarchal past, you know, some of this violence and abuse may not even be considered abnormal. It may even be considered a part of a regular relationship. That was what was strange to me or not strange, but it was, it was very troubling to me because some people, uh, as we spoke about before the interview, may look into their past and see some of these behaviors and think that as normal or not a problem. One of the things that uh, further along on the spectrum um, that was presented in some of the ancillary materials to the article was this idea of domestic domestic slavery and how it um, you know, may have these very, what I would say, antiquated domesticity to it. But this is actually abuse and it's not healthy for anyone in that relationship. And so 
Let's talk about some of the symptoms of this kind of violence, how we might identify this either in your own life or possibly um, in the life of someone you may know. Sure. So kind of recognizing this more psychological abuse, it shows up uh, as a partner, you know, being very isolating. So, you know, I want all of your time to be spent with me. You know, you don't need to go hang out with those friends. You, you know, you have me. What do you need other people for? Or just kind of always monopolizing somebody's time. There's some very like manipulating behaviors or intimidating behaviors or threatening even of, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to harm you or harm some one of your friends or even like family pets or if there are children involved, that some sort of harm or manipulation or event is going to happen to them if the partner doesn't comply. And yeah, I feel like oftentimes those are the times that you don't really see that as abuse because in our culture today is kind of normalized those kinds of behaviors. And if you've grown up seeing those around, you just think they're okay. Like you kind of brush it off. You don't necessarily think that they're perfectly fine, but you don't also see that as abuse. And it's just really key to educate people on these different forms because everyone knows about the hitting, physical violence and things like that, but they don't really want to categorize isolation, humiliation in terms of stuff like that in the same category with physical abuse. And it really needs to be. And one of the things that was also brought up in the article, and I think, oh, I didn't go direct to this, but here in America, and this may be different for other countries, but we really tie physical violence to the label of abuse. And that's one of the things that we really need to communicate out that, and what I thought was a good way that's come out of some of the more recent conversations of this was that hashtag, well, maybe he doesn't hit you. No, but there are other forms of abuse that are going on. Well, we're just about out of time in this segment, so we're going to take the opportunity for a short break. But if you're just joining us, today we're talking about intimate partner violence and specifically coercive control. Joining me in the studio are Melissa Garrier and Sean Montgomery of Project Brave at Georgia College. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another one of our Times Talk conversations. And of course, the Times Talk is a program by the American Democracy Project at Georgia College. And it takes place at the Georgia College Libraries each Wednesday at noon. Today, the topic of our conversation is intimate partner violence. And I'm joined in the studio by Sean Montgomery and Melissa Garrier of Project Brave at Georgia College. Now, we were talking about kind of the larger spectrum of intimate partner violence. And in this segment, we wanted to kind of drill down a little bit deeper into psychological abuse and coercive control. So I thought that we'd just kind of uh, recap again about what coercive control is and what are some of the symptoms that we might look for if you are experiencing this yourself. And one of the things that got me about the article, um, it had many examples of this kind of behavior. Many people were brave enough to actually you know, share their story with the author to kind of paint a better picture of what you might look for. And what struck me is that one of the people interviewed for this story, they were someone who is a, is a psychologist and they deal with abuse in their day-to-day -day work. 
But they themselves were the victim of coercive controlling and they did not even know about it. And so, you know, I thought I'd ask, how might you find yourself in one of these relationships? Well, first off, it's more important mm -hmm. to educate yourself on what these types of relationships look like and positive and healthy norms in relationships may be defined by your own types of definitions based on what you've experienced personally. So it could look different for everyone what a healthy relationship is, but it's important to set those boundaries for yourself and to know what realms are within that healthy relationship. So coercive control is something that people don't really recognize as a problem until it becomes like such physical violence or things like that. But there's lots of predecessors that have to deal with these types of things, such as humiliation and just control of a relationship, like looking through text messages and phones, following, stalking, showing up to places where like you're just unwelcome and it might come across as like a loving relationship based on what's seen in today's society. But those are things that could be signs of more damage coming in the future. And I think that what's seen in today's society piece like is that bigger picture. You know, we talk about how when you come into the dating world, whenever you start dating, you know, we say you want a healthy relationship, but kind of where do people figure out what a healthy relationship looks like? It's not necessarily something that's really talked about in our school system or younger. So if you're looking for what relationships should look like, you're looking to things like, how are they represented in the media? What do I see on TV or in the movies when I go and look at a relationship? Or how do my family and friends, like what do their relationships look like? And so the realities are, you know, when we look at the most romantic relationships in movies, a lot of times it's like the guy is not giving up until he gets the girl. And it's just very kind of almost manipulative and gets to this really like creepy point of obsession. And it's just kind of laughed off and seen as normal. Uh, so I think when people and young people especially take what they see and try to translate that into their you know daily life, that's where we start to see some of these behaviors show up or well, can. I want to jump in. It's not even laughed off. It's sometimes it's seen like that is the length at which you need to go yeah. to find the love of your life. Absolutely. So it's not even just seen as even slightly off at all, but seen as, well, that's that person really loves that right. person. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, my partner wants to know where I am all the time. Like they must really care about me or, you know, they want me to send like check in messages or things like that all the time. Like what to what degree does that become controlling behavior versus just like regular behavior? And that's really difficult to kind of tease out what that looks like. And I think the hardest part also is defining that for yourself, especially me coming in from a family of a single mother who was a victim of domestic abuse. It's just hard because I never really saw a relationship in the household. So all I did get was that stuff from the media, pulling out, seeing friends' parents and things like that. And it's really hard to just define that relationship for yourself, what a healthy relationship looks like. And so that's what we really try to do is just educate people on what the healthy things are that they should be looking for. And it's up to them to find their own mold because it is different for everyone. Yeah. And that's one of the things we talked about before the interview started was that you really define normalcy on what you see and even more so in the media, I think, what you see in the house around you, what you see in other adult relationships um, in your life. And just because, you know, those relationships uh, may not have broken apart or there may not be, again, any physical violence, they may not be a good model for you to base your relationships on and what you're looking for in there. And, you know, one of the hard things for me is um, the idea of isolation. 
And I imagine that that kind of feels like a very slippery slope. And once you have gotten to progress to that point, it may be very, very hard to actually go out and seek help or understand even the situation you are in because your partner has done a good job of getting you away from your support cycle or your support circle from your family. I think that that's probably one of the most destructive parts about this. The article itself talked about the just work of relationship building that people had to do after they got out of these relationships because they'd really lost touch with the people who care about them and the people that they care about. And sometimes that's a key part of the controlling partner's plan. They do try to isolate you and get you away from these people that might support you. And it does make it harder to leave the relationship or to find other ways to get help. And that's just one thing that they do just to try to control you even more because then they feel like you have to rely solely on them. And then that's when they have you. And that's when you see the cycles getting deeper and deeper. And it just really is hard for that person who's being victimized to find help in that situation. And I want to go off something you said earlier a little bit is about the escalating nature of these. Of course, I myself mentioned about the hashtag, well, maybe he doesn't hit you. But you said something earlier, Sean, about how these things escalate. They are about control. But when they are getting to their lowest points, many times if that control cannot be uh, maintained, it does turn physical. Yes, that's one of those things where you see that they might push the limits farther and further to see how they can go. It might start with just controlling, like taking little things away. And if the partner doesn't respond negatively towards those things, they might just keep going farther to get what they want. And then once you're past that point, when they figure out that they do have control over you, that's when they really exercise that control and start to promote more physical acts, maybe, or even just more verbal acts that might be harming to the victim because they know that they can. And that's really a psychological aspect that was talked about in the article. They just know that they can do these things, and that's why they do. One thing I want to say is that it's all about power struggles, I think, in these. And this abuser may be acting from an area of power, but really there's something wrong with them where, you know, they uh, have a great weakness themselves, obviously, in the fact that they are, you know, abusing another person. But um, I think that's one of those areas where perhaps, and I'm just speaking off my mind, that the victim may feel at a less strong area to get out of it. But, you know, they need to know that there are serious issues with that person who's putting them through this that I I guess it would be a fine line to walk to make sure you can extricate yourself from that relationship. Right. Absolutely. So domestic abuse or dating violence or, you know, intimate partner violence in general, like other kinds of forms of, you know, either sexual assault or stalk, those are never the victim's fault in that situation. And I think a lot of times, especially in intimate partner violence, the abuser can do a really good job of making it feel like it is the victim's fault. So... Like, who else would ever love you? And belittling them to that point where they think that, you know, this relationship is the only relationship because my self-worth is not enough that anybody else would ever want to love me or support me. So I think when you start seeing kind of that language and those behaviors of either the isolation or, you know, your partner's putting you down all the time, to hopefully that that will kind of raise a red flag out of this to be like, oh, hey, what am I, what is this relationship? And is this really healthy? And is it abusive? And what do I need to be doing? And that can be really, really difficult to to recognize and to figure out where to get help. But it is something that needs to, needs to happen. 
Well, we're going to take another short break right now, but if you're just joining us, we're talking about intimate partner violence on this Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. I'm joined in the studio today by Melissa Garrier and Sean Montgomery of Project Brave at Georgia College. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're continuing our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. If you find our conversation to be of great importance, I invite you to come out to the Georgia College Library at noon each Wednesday and join the conversation uh, yourself. Today we're talking about intimate partner violence, and I'm joined in the studio by Melissa Garrier and Sean Montgomery of Project Brave at Georgia College. Now, in this segment, we wanted to talk about the cycle of violence and also what steps you might take to reach out to someone else to get out of what could be an abusive relationship. And so, Melissa, I thought I'd ask you just tell us about the cycle of violence and ways people might identify whether or not they're in a healthy relationship and what they might do to either get out of that relationship or make a change in their life. Absolutely. So I think we've talked a lot about kind of the warning signs and some of the behaviors that might be exhibited, but it's important to know that these behaviors kind of occur within this cycle typically. The first phase of that being tension building phase where the victim survivor in that abusive relationship might feel like they, you know, they can't do anything right. They're trying to just continually please their partner. But, you know, all of this tension is kind of building. And then it moves on to this explosive kind of incident. So that's the next part of the cycle. So that could be this instance of psychological abuse. And as it continues and the relationship progresses, it might go up to that physical point. But there's this kind of explosive incident of violence. And then after that, we see what's referred to as the honeymoon phase, which is kind of the abuser being like, oh, I'm so sorry that this happened or that I did that. The flowers and the promises of I'll get better or I'll change, that kind of all happens. That's really powerful for the the victim in that relationship because you know, there was a reason that they entered this relationship to begin with. There was something that they saw in their partner that made them, you know, either fall in love with them or, you know, want to be in this relationship. And so when they see this kind of behavior and maybe for a time the abuser is, you know, acting uh, and making a difference and acting normal, you know, how they kind of might look more like a healthy relationship. But again, after some amount of time, it's likely that that tension building phase will just kind of start over and it'll kind of start escalating again into that explosive incident and then it just keeps going and going and as a relationship kind of gets longer in time a lot of times that cycle will speed up and there will be a shorter amount of time between all of those um, stages and so folks are most likely to leave after that explosive incident because that's kind of when they realize you know oh this is not healthy this is not good what's happening to me but the reality is, is that it's like the, also the most dangerous time for somebody to leave a relationship. Mortality rates of, you know, we see a lot of rates of an abuser killing their partner within domestic violence relationships, especially where the woman, 
partner is the the victim in the situation and the uh, man is the abuser. And so I'm curious, when you find yourself on this cycle of violence, is it just inevitable that it will play itself out? Does the victim, do they need to walk away from any thoughts that they can change their partner or do they really just need to leave? More likely than not, the abuser is not going to change their behavior. That's just kind of what we see over, you know, the history of of abusive relationships and literature and things like that, that the likeliness that that abuser is going to change is is very low. So at that point, if you are in a relationship that is abusive and you have hit any of those points, then getting out is the best option. It might be also the scariest and the most uncomfortable, but the reality is that, you know, for your own safety and health, you should try and get out. And I think that's got to be one of the hardest realizations to come to Absolutely. is that you just need to get out for your own safety, for the safety of other people that you love, maybe your children, perhaps, or, yeah. or others. Because I think, like you said, there's a reason why you got into the relationship. You saw something in that person. And I think all of us, we want to think that we can change things mm-hmm. and change this person, but they you know, have fundamental issues that are harmful to you. And you really need to maintain your own safety and the safety of others around you. Now, we're getting closer to the end of our time today, and I want to talk about resources that might be available to people, resources that might be available to people to figure out what their exit strategy may be, both in the larger sense, but then also things here locally that anyone who might be hearing this can actually take advantage of in Baldwin County or Middle Georgia. Starting kind of in the small realm, my official job on campus is as a victim advocate. So I serve as a victim advocate for folks of Georgia College, uh, which means that if someone finds themselves in an abusive relationship or they think they have a friend that's in an abusive relationship, we also welcome those people to come and talk to us. But our jobs, uh, myself and Jennifer Graham, who is the director of the Women's Center, our jobs are to kind of work through with that person what we call a safety plan. So that's kind of things of talking about what do I need to get out of this relationship safely? Or how can, if I need to stay in it for the next amount of time, like how can I do that in the most safe way possible? So a lot of times that's kind of, how can I set away money in a place that might not be found by the abuser? Can I keep a bag packed in the closet? If I need to break a lease, like what kind of funds do I need to do that? Who can I trust and who can I go to if I need to leave in the middle of the night or at any point? So kind of just naming all of those pieces that help someone escape a a relationship safely. And so that's what we do on campus. But, you know, victim advocates across the county and the nation, that's kind of part of their job, too, um, or at a domestic violence shelter or a crisis line for domestic violence. Like those are the, the things that those folks can talk through with victims. So the closest domestic violence shelter for Baldwin County is actually up in Greensboro, um, and it's called the Circle of Love Domestic Violence Shelter. They have a crisis line, so that number is 706-453-4017. So folks can call that number if they you know, need to talk to somebody within the community about their relationship. On the more like criminal and legal side, within Baldwin County, our Solicitor General's office does have a victim advocacy program, um, and to reach out to them, the number is 478-445-4445. 
a number of options available if you are you know, a member of our campus community here, a member of the Baldwin County community, or even a member of the larger Middle Georgia community. And now I want to ask you our, our perennial Times Talk last question. And when you're having the conversation tomorrow, what do you hope the audience gets out of this uh, talk? I just hope that the audience realizes that there's an education process to understanding all of this. There's different forms and there's so many different things that you have to remember. So just educating yourself on the best practices and methods to help someone else or even help yourself. You first have to know what to do to identify the situation before you can take steps to better the situation. So that's just really key in this whole process of intimate partner violence is just identifying. And that's where we usually fail to see these different types of violence as violence. We fail to realize that there is no real level of violence. They should all be treated equally. And I think I would just say that I hope that folks, you know, if they do recognize themselves within this situation or recognize a friend within this situation, that they do come or reach out to um, one of the resources that we've mentioned or that we'll talk about at the Times Talk. Also making sure to recognize that it is up to the victim in that relationship when they want to leave and it has to be their decision. And so that's kind of the most important piece to take away from this is that it can be really frustrating to be a friend and see someone existing within this abusive relationship. And as hard as it might be to recognize that as that friend, like you can't decide for them when they re- when they leave that relationship because it's, it's a realization that they have to come to themselves to successfully stay out of it. Because, you know, when we talk about the cycle of violence, like it takes somebody an average of like four to nine times to try to leave before they're successful in leaving because it just is so difficult to extricate themselves. And so if you are a friend and you see somebody within that relationship, keep supporting them, keep being their friend as hard as it might be. Because as we talked about at the beginning of this talk, that isolation piece is one of the biggest pieces. And so when you are no longer a support system for that person, it makes it that much harder for them to eventually get out. So yeah, just keep being supportive. Well, again, I want to thank you all very much for bringing this very important topic to the radio here. I just don't think we hear about this enough. And um, like we described earlier in the conversation, we're working against a lot in our own histories as individuals, as families, but also the popular media you know, models that are shown to us all the time. And that's, I think, one of the, the most difficult things to understand is that just because that's the way it's been doesn't mean that that's right and doesn't mean that that's the way we should allow ourselves to be treated or our friends to be treated. So I want to thank you all very much for bringing this conversation to a WRGC. Well, you've been listening to WRGC 88.3 FM in our Georgia College Connections program. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure to spend a portion of our evening together here on Georgia College Connections. I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.